Hi friends, this is Dr. Michael Williams, and welcome to another episode of the Diversifying Path podcast. This podcast explores how investing in diversity can lead to a higher return of investment in pathology and laboratory medicine by learning from the knowledge and experiences of diverse voices within our field. My next guest is Dr. Alcino Gama. Dr. Gama is a current PGY-1 at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago. He is a former nephrologist from Brazil and decided to redirect his career towards pathology, carrying a special interest for renal pathology. He is an enthusiast of medical education and mentorship, as he believes that showing ourselves as a rewarding specialty is a key to increase interest for the field among medical students. As a gay Latino with such an unusual career background, he found an incredibly welcoming and supportive pathology community, both virtually on Twitter and in person at his current training program. Without further ado, here's Dr. Alcino Gama. to another episode of Diversifying Path. I'm here with my next guest, Dr. Alcino Gama. So can you let us know who you are, where you are from, and your pronouns? Hi, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. So my name is Alcino, and I go by he, him, and his. And I am a Brazilian MD. I graduated from Universidade Federal do Rio Grande do Norte in my hometown. And after that, I was fully trained at Universidade de São Paulo in internal medicine and nephrology. And currently, I am a PGY-1 in APCP at Northwestern in Chicago. All right. So how did you get into pathology? Oh, that's quite a long story. But it's something that, that I really like to talk about because I think uh, I might serve as an example for people that are in the same situation as I am transitioning careers. So uh, I, was, uh, I went to medical school in an underserved area, and we were mostly exposed to internal medicine and, surg and surgery, and I had a very few pathology exposure in my med school. So by the time that I found out that kidneys were my passion, uh, I had no role model of renal pathologist, and I ended up in internal medicine and nephrologist. So the nephrologists were my role model back then. And to be honest, I did, didn't even consider pathology for residency in the first place. And I think that's, unfortunately, that's quite common in med schools uh, across the world. So by the end of my nephrology training, four years after I graduated, I was put in charge of kidney biopsies. And, uh, and I said, okay, wait a minute, I belong here. I belong, I belong to pathology. This is, this is what I wanted to be good at. This is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I told the pathologists that I wanted to, to become pathologist and they thought it was a joke. And uh, it, to be honest, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of energy to restart careers like I did, like I'm doing. And uh, I could not like take this decision in the same minute that I realized what I was feeling. I had to experiment nephrology for a while, and I had to understand and accept that I needed to do that for for my career because I was gonna be working for 30 years or so with that, and, 
and uh, I need to do what I love and this is why I decided to transition my career. Here I am now. I'm restarting everything from scratch in pathology, very happy yeah. with my decision. So when you mentioned earlier about thinking that decision is something that you don't take lightly and that you were restarting your career, what were things that you were thinking about when you were um, deciding to transition? Okay, so nephrology is a very rewarding field because we can be very, very helpful to patients and we can develop a, a strong connection, a bonding with them because they really rely on, on the nephrologist to have a better life and to, to, to have a better quality of, uh, of life. And uh, from that perspective, it was uh, very satisfying to, to be a nephrologist. However, over the time, I realized that what brought me to nephrology was my fascination for glomerular diseases, for immunology, for transplantation, especially at the microscopic level. And uh, it was progressively more frustrating to not being on the microscopic side of the nephrology. And uh, that, in the, in the beginning, that was not a big deal because I was able to work and, and take care of my patients and everything. But over the time, I felt that uh, I was not professionally satisfied because I wanted to learn and I wanted to, to build a deep knowledge in the microscopic part of the kidney gotcha. diseases. Okay. I guess more specifically, I was, I was saying when <laughs> you were, you know, you're coming, you, you train in Brazil and then you're coming to, you know, you had your journey and now you're training in a different country. What sort of obstacles came in front of you when you were doing that transition and what surprised you the most? Okay, so when I decided that I wanted to restart my career, uh, I wanted to do in the United States from the beginning because I think that I can here I can have a more a deeper training especially in pathology because because mm. of the, all the technology that we can have access in the United States and when I made the decision of transitioning my career I wanted to do it here in the United States I had to raise money because the process is not cheap of course uh, we all know that and then I had to work in Brazil as an nephrologist even though I knew that I was going to make this transition so I had to work for a while there to raise money then I had to to take all the steps and English is not my primary language so that was another challenge yeah. like to to take all all those steps in in English I took them during COVID which was another struggle I think that the hardest part of the process was to mm -hmm. to get pathologist letters to apply for pathology, even though I was coming from a clinical field. I think those are the biggest obstacles that gotcha. I passed wow, through sick. and people in the same situation as I am might pass through as well. It's, it's, an, it's a story that I feel like it, it's there, but not maybe discussed as much between like US grads and our IMGs or the where we are going through the whole application process with 
English being our primary language versus um, someone who has had a whole life, especially in medicine, and then they have to adapt to everything in the country uh, in order to succeed or even change their careers in order to like progress where they see themselves going. So that's what, that's what I got from that information. No, I was just going to say that uh, this struggle is predictable and uh, it's something that's it's important for us to have that exposure to English because I am building my career in English. So I understand that's something that needs to happen. And uh, I think that the steps, the USMLE steps, they, they serve as a preparation for what we are going to to live in the real life with the English language, but I won't say that's easy. It's 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 an extra effort that we need to take as an IMG. Gotcha. And what what advice would you have for IMGs who are applying for the PathMatch 2022? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that the IMGs that are applying for this year, they I think they will have the same scenario that I had which is like a 100% virtual process, which is good, especially in terms of saving money. But at the same time, I think that we need to to have a specific strategy to get to know the programs and to make ourselves like visible to them. So what the first thing that I would recommend to people that are going to pathmatch to any two is to have a Twitter account I think that's really important because mm-hmm. through that social media you can you can see the programs you can see the, uh, the residents you can see how they are in the real life and there are lots of residents I met lots of residents from various institutions and I had a, a fair um, idea of how it works in each program and I think that that would be the best advice that I would have to people that are in the same situation as I am. If you are transitioning careers as I did, I think that you should be get proper exposure to pathology it's, and you should like get observerships even if it's virtual because of COVID or in person in your hometown if you can. Uh, but you need to to be assessed by a pathologist. Some pathologists need to to see you working and to write you a letter, and that's how you can be seen as a potential candidate. And now you are a PGY one um, in a pathology residency, and, and I'm sure for you, it's just like okay, these are the steps, and like you finally made it. Because I'm sure match day was like so, like overwhelmingly happy when you found out where you matched to uh and, and that's how we met was twitter because i I've, i was sort of following people on twitter and i think we started talking at some point or another and like we make twitter friends but now you're at, you're at yes, yes right yes mama um <laughs> and so now you're at um Northwestern University of Pathology, and you are getting involved in um, DEI initiatives. So what got you interested in that? Uh, And what kind of things do you foresee um, occurring for uh, Northwestern University Pathology Department in the future? 
in terms of those DEI initiatives? Yes, I was really excited to match here in in at Northwestern because when I was digging like the programs and everything, I I saw that Northwestern had a very diverse mm -hmm. environment, and I thought that I would be I would thrive here as a resident, and that's why I got mm -hmm. so excited when I matched here because. Even though I, I did not visit the, the program in person, everything was virtual from, beginning, from the beginning. I had that gut feeling about the program. And uh, after I arrived here, I, I can see that indeed they have a very strong diversity committee and they have, they try, they, they make huge efforts to include people from, from minorities. And uh, they put that in practice. They, they train attendings that are in charge of mm -hmm. selecting candidates to start residency to, to remove their unconscious bias. That's something that happens everywhere. And uh, if a program wants to embrace diversity, I think that they need to do that. And uh, I see myself contributing to the gay latin perspective of yes, the diversity Mama, yes. of Northwestern <laughs> University in the future yes <laughs> i'm i'm here for less than three months now but i think that uh, this is the flag that i am willing to carry and i think that i can bring my perspective to the program program and make us more di diverse in that regards okay it's interesting when um when we say that we're gay or queer or somewhere along the spectrum it feels like it's so much it's easier for people to comprehend what that is and for us as well too but there are also times where it's not just we fall in that one specific label Sometimes, for some people, it, it, there is a spectrum uh, in terms of where you're at on the, yes. on the LGBTQIA um, uh, spectrum. So for you, is that, like, was that something that, like, when you were coming out, like, you were still navigating? Or, um, like, what was the story for you behind that? Yes, absolutely, Mike. Uh to me, the LGBTQIA plus spectrum is very fluid. I think these concepts are fluids. And uh, at some point in my life, I thought that I might be bisexual. And uh, But at this moment of my life, I currently identify myself as a cisgender mm -hmm. gay man. And uh, I am married to another mm -hmm. man. And this is my current status in in our spectrum but i i'm not sure how it's going to be tomorrow because yesterday it was different mm -hmm. from today so i understand that's a fluid spectrum and it's important mm -hmm. for us uh, as members of the community to understand that and support our friends mm -hmm. and everyone that is eventually mm -hmm. in this fluid situation and uh, about my coming out story, I'm glad that you asked that because uh, it my coming out story kind of matched my 
career transition, I think that I, I was aware of both situations at the same time. So uh, as I mentioned, I was born and raised and went to medical school in the same city. And this is a very conservative city of my, my country. And when I entered my medical school, I put myself in a box in which uh, I pictured myself in the future as an internist and married uh -huh. to a woman with children. Like I thought that I thought yeah. that I would fit in that box professionally and in my private life. And uh, I ended up pursuing that. And when I moved to Sao Paulo, which is like a nine million people city, I was able to to reconnect to my to my essence, and I was able to to, uh -huh. to understand my sexuality in a different manner, right. far away from that box. Yes. Yeah, so I said, okay, now that I'm outside that conservative box that I put myself into a few years ago, I want to explore my sexuality because, I, as I mentioned, I thought that I was bisexual. So I said, okay, now I, I want to see uh, how it uh -huh. is to uh -huh. to be involved with a man and uh, a few months after i arrived there i met uh, a person a portuguese man and we became friends and we became lovers and of course it did not work out because he he came back to to his country but he gave me a very memorable lesson that is uh, it is possible to love another man and uh, this is this was my coming out story it was not traumatic because it happened in a moment where i was financially independent and i was living alone in, in another city so i did not have to explain that uh, with so so many details to my family and friends of course that i lost a few friends of course that i lost a few people that i like in my family I think that's the drawback that we all struggle in a certain moment of life. But I cannot say that it was that traumatic because it happened when I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the, the, the coming out process only happens when somebody comes out to themselves at first before they come out to others. And then like it's just all the nerves and you know, fears that occur because you're just like, are they gonna, are people gonna accept it? You know, I talked about this before, um, about conforming, like the code switching. I mean, I, I can't really do it <laughs> too much anymore, but you know, like, trying to act heteronormative in a, in a situation, even though you're not, but trying to like put up the barriers of like, okay, how do I protect myself in the situation um, so that people feel again feel comfortable around you or me for example because of, of that what I want to transition to is to talk about the intersection of being gay and, and being a minority because that leads to a whole bunch of complexities in itself and I just and I want to get your thoughts and opinions about that I think that we reach a point mm -hmm. of our life personal life and career that you have other things to to your colleagues and your friends and family and your and people that 
work with you uh, that's not necessarily related to your sexuality and uh, I think that it's very hard for us to understand that when I came out I thought that I was gonna suffer, suffer in my work environment 10 times more than what I actually suffered because we when we are in a, in the fra in a, in a position that we think that we might be judged by who we are we tend to think things are going to be bigger than they really are so i think that the main mm -hmm. problem the main struggle is inside ourselves once you you accept and you acknowledge who you are right. and you, you are ready to to embrace that and uh, in my in my previous institution when i was where i was trained uh, in nephrology i entered the institution as mm -hmm. uh, supposedly straight men and i left the institution as a as a gay man and uh, i think that mm -hmm. i did not lose anything professionally by coming out right. but i thought that i would lose and I, th I think that's the main struggle that we 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 need, we tend to think that this is going to change us professionally but to be honest it doesn't and if it does you are in the place you are working in a place that's not for you and now that i came to the united states as a openly gay and of course latino person uh, i can see that inside our community our lgbtqia plus community there is still a lot of prejudice uh, not only with the guards of your where you come from where you were born and the color of your skin but also with regards to if you act more in a less masculine fashion or if you act in a more masculine fashion you are judged and if are in if you act in a more queer way, you can be judged. If you are fat, you can be judged. If you are thin, you can be judged. I think that's something that needs to be addressed inside our community because we are all one and we need to support ourselves. And as a Latin, I I have seen some, uh, let's put like weird comments about being Latin and gay. And I think that this also happens with people of color and this this also happened with people that are fat or thin according to the others standards so i think that's something that needs to be addressed because we are one community and we need to be together because if we are not if if we do not protect ourselves uh, then things going to be worse like national attention to this the the spectrum is when it's like gay pride month and like corporations and all that do these i almost want to say performative type things where there's like oh yeah like you know gay pride you know and all that and then as soon as july like first hits like well they'll do it again next year but within the community i, I agree there is a lot of stratification and strife and judgment um that occurs and I, i've seen it where uh people are judged because of their weight or you know in our case in terms of being people of color 
where there is fetishization that occurs based on stereotypes um, that people may have, but also the what is called quote-unquote preference, which is another way of saying a racist, attitudes towards mm -hmm. dating or being with people. And so mm -hmm. an example for me was when, um, I mean, I was, I was out and I was doing my first year as an intern in surgery. And one of my good friends in another department, um, we went to med school together and I tell her, and this other person that she knew was openly gay too. And I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah, he's kind of cute. Like, and, is, and he, is he dating, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh yeah, like he is. And she was like, well, I'll let you know, um, I'll talk to him. And I was close with her, so I trusted her. And so she got back to me a little while afterwards and she kind of looked sad. I was like, you know, what happened? And she was like, yeah, he's, he's still dating, but he's not interested now. And I was like, well, why do you look so sad about like that statement? Cause I'm like, you know, people have, people have their interests or are they just studying or busy? I remember her telling me that the response was he only dates white guys or, or the skin tone of somebody who's like, who's Indian. Not Indian, but skin tone of somebody who is Indian. I don't know what that means. I, I mean, I'm sorry that you have to, that you had to listen mm -hmm. that from a friend. I mean, she was, she was being honest yeah, with you yeah. and she was trying to, yes, to, to be supportive mm -hmm. with you. But, but that this is a very bad thing to, to hear from anyone. I came to the United States married, so I haven't been involved in the single gay environment in the United States. I, I can see it happening. Mm -hmm. I can see it happening with my friends, with people in our community. It's, it's clear that this still happens. It's, it's, our, it's part of our generation to make sure that this won't be passed mm -hmm. to, to the next generation because mm -hmm. we, we've had a lot. Because we always tend to claim for rights as, a, as the whole community. We always want from, from the government and we, we want from authorities and we want from everyone else to respect us and to, we, we want to have our space. And when it comes to inside the community, we are not able to respect each other. So uh, I think that's something that need, needs to be addressed inside the community. I agree with you. So how, how did you and your husband meet? Oh, that's, that's a that's an, a one million dollar love story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, no, uh -huh. it was not a Titanic. It was a regular club. It was not on Grinder. Uh, oh. Back then, Grinder already existed, and I think I was on Grinder at that time. So, for those who don't know, it, it's it's a it's a gay dating app. Yes. It's it's a gay dating app. Lots of friends of mine started dating their significant ones through Grinder, but that was not my case. I met him in a club in Sao Paulo, and uh, we've been together pretty much eight years since that night. I think it's it was meant to be because like among like I don't know five hundred people inside that mm -hmm, club mm -hmm. 
uh, we decided to, to, to be together and we are together until today. And he's been very supportive of my career transition. Uh -huh. He, before coming to United States, I spent two years in Canada in a research fellowship and he was there with me and he's here with me now. So I think that's, that's my fairy tale story. Oh. Yes. <laughs> we, we are all here for it, mama. We love it. Yes, I love him. And I, I think he, he will probably be the, the number one listener to this podcast. Well, hi, Alcina. We'll, we'll do a shout out to Alcina's husband. Hey, y'all, what's up? <laughs> what, what is advice you can give to um, people of color in the LGBTQIA plus community? Be yourselves. Trust who you are. And uh, don't be afraid of fighting for what's yours. The world is still very segregated. It's not, I, I cannot imagine putting a child in this world, how it is at this moment. But I think it's our mission to make sure it's livable for the next generations. So us as minorities, as BIPOC, BIPOC people, as LGBTQI plus community, I think it's on our hands to stand up and to show our value and show that we can be very important people, not only in our personal life, but also professionally. And we need to show up and, and be strong and protect ourselves. Okay. All right. So two last questions. What are ways do you feel like we can diversify in pathology? Okay, so unfortunately, I think that medicine is still very segregated. Uh, I think I think there is a lot of selection bias throughout the whole process from college to the end of our careers. And uh, I understand that. But inside our community, I think that we can work uh, assisting them and making our community grow. Uh, so I think that we can promote pathology in underserved areas. We can we can show ourselves to the world and mm -hmm. show them that there is a career that's called pathology and there's a beautiful career and that we are important and that's a rewarding job. And uh, we can also open our labs to both college and med school students so that they can see w what we do in a daily basis and show them our relevance. So I think that we can work in our, inside our community. We can bring them, we can raise their interest to pathology by working directly with them. And finally, I think that for the programs that want to stimulate diversity, I think that they should, uh, they should address the issue of unconscious bias in their faculty and all the stuff that's involved in the residency recruitment. I think that's very important. And I think that's an immediate way to, to make our programs more diverse. All right, and then the last question is, how are ways that our listeners can follow you on social media to see how your career flourishes and grows? <laughs> So I have one professional 
media, social media, it's on Twitter, it's at Alcino Gama, A-L-C-I-N-O-G-A-M-A, and uh, I'm always happy to respond DMs, especially from people who are trying to to enroll pathology programs. I, I'm very happy to help them. Well, yeah. thanks for joining the podcast. It's been super fun to talk to you um, about the episode. Uh, do you have any last or final statements you want to say to the audience? So I want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to this amazing podcast because I think that diversity is something that's really important in in all work environments but since we are in, we are pathologists we are going to be pathologists we need to address that inside our community and I am very glad that Mike brought this topic and invited me to participate and I just want to say to the audience that keep on listening to him Hi again, friends. Well, this is it for today's episode. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the Diversified Math Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope to see you soon.